I'm in danger of going on about this too much, but you know that little social norm that we have where uh, we say, yeah, how are you, how are you doing? And uh, the answer is expected to be, yeah, yeah, great, fine, everything's going well. It's uh, uh, just politeness. But um, I've got a suspicion that uh, underlying it is uh, something more serious, and it's um, something about how we expect our, our lives to be. Um, I feel like we're under uh, quite a lot of pressure. We put ourselves under it and we put one another under it um, for our lives to be going really well, for us to be happy and healthy, for our relationships to be near perfect, uh, for our children to be always well behaved and for our jobs to be successful and satisfying and fulfilling. And uh, of course the reality is that that isn't the case and uh, yet somehow we put that pressure on ourselves. I think there's a Christian version of it too. It's a sort of idealism about what it means to, to live a life in relationship to God. And we find ourselves asking questions like, um, uh, surely God's got more for me than this. Surely there is a, a greater kind of richness of relationship with him and blessing that I can find. And um, on many levels, those are good questions to ask. But I worry that um, uh, it's rooted in a wrong set of expectations. And those expectations are really crucial because I think the place we get them from is our relationship with one another, which is why I come back to that problem of the uh, how are you, I'm doing really well thing. You know, the sort of people that we encounter in the Bible uh, are never those sort of people. There is, um, and it's one of the most beautiful things about the Bible, there is a, a kind of raw honesty about it. And even the most godly and faithful people are never the sort of people you'd look at and say, yep, yeah, doing just fine. I'd like us to look at this, um, this passage of 1 Kings 17, and it's a passage with um, uh, uh, two main figures in. The first one is a, a figure who uh, is introduced in this passage. Um, uh, he's a, a major figure in the book of Kings and a major figure in the Old uh, Testament. His name is Elijah, and he's a, a remarkable man of God. He's a prophet. And uh, he lives and uh, ministers in the midst of really dark days when the voice of God is not heard and we're going to be introduced to him. But um, the real hero of this passage, of this story, is uh, a widow. She's described as the widow of Zarephath. She um, doesn't even have a name in this story and yet she, uh, uh, even more than Elijah in this passage, is a remarkable and heroic figure. And uh, I'd like these two characters to um, do something to correct our expectations, to uh, set our perspectives straight and understand what it means to be the people of God and understand what it means to live in relationship with God. But before we begin that, let me just give you a little bit of background to this uh, uh, book of 1 Kings and uh, uh, some context to this chapter that we're looking at. Um, where we are in the Old Testament story is uh, post-David uh, and post-Solomon. Um, and um, just uh, a few chapters ago, uh, in chapter 11, was um, the end of uh, King Solomon, David's uh, son, uh, and really the end of that, uh, that glorious period of Israel's history, um, where the king was described as a man after God's own heart. Uh, and Solomon, um, who started so well uh, in chapter 11, turns his heart away from God and comes uh, to uh, a sad end of his time as king. And after that, there's a whole um, uh, 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 list of kings um, 
all of whom seem to get worse and worse until we come to this figure, uh, Ahab. And um, the beginning of chapter 7 uh, starts with uh, Elijah confronting this king, Ahab. And um, he stands before the king and says, In the name of the Lord, the living God of Israel, whom I serve, I tell you that there will be no dew or rain for the next three years until I speak. Now this character Elijah really has just uh, come from nowhere. There's no background to him. This is him. This is all we know about him. Um, and uh, his first job is a, a pretty significant one. He has to go before this king, and really not just any king. Um, king Ahab is described as uh, the most evil of the kings of Israel, um, uh, worse than all of the kings who'd gone before him. And uh, his job is to uh, say these words, that there's, no, there's going to be no rain and there's going to be no dew, and uh, the, uh, the land is going to be plunged into drought. And uh, of course, this is a judgment on uh, a nation which is slowly turning its back on God. Uh, it's also a very particular challenge. And uh, one of the reasons why Ahab was viewed as being so uh, godless and evil was that he had started to institute uh, the worship of a different God in Israel, than a God who's known as Baal. And uh, this was a very particular challenge to Baal, although this isn't described in words. Baal was known to be, uh, or said to be, the, the God of uh, fertility and of storms and um, so for Elijah to stand there and say there will be no more uh, rain and no more dew uh, can you see as a direct challenge to this uh, uh, false god who's supposed to be in charge of rain and uh, uh, Yahweh the living God is saying uh, there's not going to be any. Now so far so good um, Elijah's uh, job seems to be pretty uh, exciting uh, perhaps uh, scary, certainly intimidating, standing before uh, evil kings and uh, proclaiming the word of God to them all seems quite dramatic. But really, from there, it gets very much less glamorous. And um, uh, God sends him out uh, across the River Jordan, out of Israel, out of this promised land, which would have been very important to him, and um, into uh, some uh, rocky gorge where he's going to spend uh, most of his time for the next three years during the course of this drought. Um, he's going to drink the water from the brook and he's going to be fed by birds. Again, sounds quite impressive um, until you realise that these birds are ravens. Ravens, um, uh, where do they get their meat from? Where do they get their food from? Well, they're, they're carrion uh, birds. They uh, get uh, their food from uh, dead animals. And uh, it doesn't say that Elijah's going to um, uh, be eating uh, carrion. But it doesn't say that he's not either, and he certainly wouldn't have known where the heck this meat was coming from. Uh, it's also got very much less glamorous and very much less exciting, and it's going to be long and slightly dull. And uh, this is what it means for Elijah to be the prophet of God for uh, uh, the time being. But the next thing that happens is the stream dries up, and uh, here we're introduced to uh, the person I think is the real hero of this story, this uh, widow. Um, Elijah's now without food and water and uh, so he's uh, sent out uh, to meet this widow and um, I'm sure you're aware that in a, a culture like uh, Israel in a very sort of patriarchal culture uh, a widow was um, a really marginalised figure she was uh, vulnerable and um, particularly this one who had a, a young child to care for um, was, uh, was the one who needed to be looked after but this woman isn't being looked after. Um, uh, see the beginning of her conversation with Isaiah in verse 12, 
where uh, she says, I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She is poor and destitute. She's um, gathering sticks to cook one last meal um, because uh, of this drought. Uh, I'm sure everybody's uh, short of food and this woman is uh, a victim of that drought and with no one to turn to, she believes that this is going to be her last meal before she dies. Now it's uh, really significant in the Bible that it is often figures like this who God chooses to incorporate into his plan, often uh, the most insignificant uh, and the most vulnerable um, who God uh, chooses to make uh, great figures and examples to others. But for this woman, being involved in God's plans is not going to be without cost and certainly not without risk because she is asked to give up her last meal for the sake of this prophet of God. She's essentially asked to give up everything that she has. One of the things that's worth noticing is that this woman is not an Israelite. Um, she's an inhabitant of the lands east of the Jordan, it says in verse 3 there. Um, she's a foreigner. And uh, remember this kind of Old Testament uh, focus on the people of Israel. And, and I think it's really very significant that this woman is going to be set up as an archetype. An archetype of real, sacrificial, life-changing faith in the face of suffering catastrophe. In fact, this, what this widow is presented to us as a model of what true faith looks like. That looks like. And she is an antithesis of Israel. She's a challenge to them in their faithlessness. Now I think there are um, uh, about four aspects of this woman's character which are intentionally recorded um, to be provocative to Israel. And uh, let me just point them out to you. The first in um, uh, verse 12 is her acknowledgement of Yahweh. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Um, very significant that she um, uh, describes Yahweh, describes the Lord as uh, your God, as um, Elijah's God. She doesn't make any claim on him. She doesn't think that he somehow owes her something. And yet at the same time, he acknowledges, uh, she acknowledges that he is the true God, as surely as the Lord your God lives. The second thing is uh, that she's willing to trust Elijah, uh, to trust uh, Yahweh, um, even when it costs her all that she has. She is willing to make this sacrifice of her final meal and uh, um, uh, to give that, uh, even uh, when it's a profound risk. Thirdly, in verse 18, and this is in, con in the context of what's going to happen later in the story, um, is her awareness of her own sin. She says to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And um, uh, while she's uh, mistaken to imagine that it's her son that's, that's her sin that is responsible for her son's death, still that awareness of her own sinfulness, of her own unworthiness of uh, the blessing of God, uh, is the thing which, as seems to be the case throughout the whole of Scripture, is uh, the surest way to open up the mercy of God. She recognises that she's a sinner, and so she finds God's mercy. And uh, fourthly, in verse 24, is her submission to the word of God. Uh, she says um, to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. She um, uh, uh, trusts God, and she listens to what Elijah has to say, and she believes that word. 
I think those four things are profound challenges to the nation of Israel. They are the four key areas that, they, uh, that the nation of Israel have failed. They have failed to acknowledge that Yahweh is the true God. They have failed to trust him even when it costs them. They have failed to recognise their sin and they have failed to submit themselves to the word of God. And the consequences of those four things in this woman's life is... Um, a, a, a wonderful blessing from God. The first is that she is sustained through the droughts. And don't forget that in a context of a, a drought like this, um, uh, many people would have perished. But this woman and her son are sustained as this uh, uh, pot of flour and uh, uh, pot of oil uh, never run dry. It's um, a, a kind of a picture, it's a reminder of the manna in the wilderness, isn't it? Um, as the uh, Israelites were escaping from uh, Israel through the desert and they were sustained day by day with God, by God's provision. So this woman, this foreign woman too, um, somehow becomes a, a, a picture of Israel and is uh, sustained daily by God's provision for her. And the second and even more remarkable way that she is uh, blessed by God is at the end of the story when her son dies and uh, he would have been the last thing on earth that she had that was precious to her, the only thing that uh, she was living for. And uh, for reasons that we don't realise, uh, that we don't know, um, he dies and uh, Elijah comes back. And she says those words to him, is this my sin that's made this happen? And uh, Elijah cries out on her behalf and uh, uh, God wakes him from the dead and uh, she's restored to her son. It's a beautiful picture of um, a faithful woman, even though in worldly terms she's of no significance and her life uh, is on the, 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 the edge of poverty uh, yet she becomes this heroic figure and uh, one who is profoundly blessed by God. But it's easy to focus on those good parts of the story, on the, the blessings that she received. But I fear that would be to miss the point of this story. This woman is um, a bystander while uh, the plans of God unfold. She's caught up in the judgment of God through no fault of her own. She's an innocent victim. And, um, and yet her life has gone wrong on almost every level. Um, she's living through the midst of uh, 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 poverty and tragedy. And that question that she asks in verse 24 is really natural. I think it's one that we find ourselves uh, asking. Is this somehow caused by me? Is this my fault? Has my sin caused these awful things to happen? But of course the answer is no. She's caught up in a much bigger story. And um, it's the story of uh, God's judgment on a nation, uh, God's conflict with King Ahab and his uh, faithless rebellion. And I think that's a really important place to start as we try and uh, understand a passage like this for ourselves. Um, what does this passage say about the, the character of God and about his purposes? Well, I think understanding a passage like this, we need to uh, grasp once more um, that the purposes of God are far bigger than you and I. We need to grasp again that concept of God's transcendence, that his kingdom and his purposes and his plans involve the whole of the earth and the whole of creation. And I think we've picked up a really kind of um, unhelpful, uh, kind of selfish individualism in terms of how we understand our relationship with God. Um, uh, though we may not even express it this way or mean to think like this, uh, all too often our relationship with, our, with God is all about me. How am I feeling? Uh, how are my circumstances? Uh, what has my job going and my family? And all um, my concerns come to the fore and we think that God um, is primarily concerned with those things. 
This woman needs to be an example to us of the fact that um, uh, often the tragedy that strikes us, or even the kind of day-to-day -day struggle, is caused not somehow by our lacking in our relationship with God or our failure in one way or another, but because of the bigger picture. Um, what it means to be in relationship with God will often look like conflict. We will get caught up in things which are not our fault and not our responsibility and not even necessarily something that we can do a great deal about and yet we are caught up with them because they are God's purposes. And the call of God to faithfulness to him and to trust in him, both for Elijah and for this woman, uh, what it looked like in practice was uh, long periods of silence and of struggle and uh, of nothing glamorous at all. A long periods where God seemed to be very busy doing something else and didn't seem all of that interested in us. And yet they remained faithful through those things. And what is most significant about this woman is that she's faithful in such a way that at the right time, when the moment comes, uh, God calls her to action and uh, out of the blue she's called to trust and to sacrifice and to act and the reason she's a hero in this story is because she does those things, even though it costs her everything she has. Our tendency is to want to know what God has for us now. There's that kind of impatience that says, God, what are your plans for me today? And uh, just fundamentally, that question's wrong. What are your plans for me? Our desire should be to understand God's purposes and uh, to trust them and then to be willing to act at the right time and the right place and to step up but of course there is also the other side of what it means to be uh, in relationship with God in this passage that despite all of those things despite um, uh, trying to understand once more the transcendence of God and his purposes um, God remains uh, interested in insignificant and marginalized individuals and this woman um, in the uh, context of her relationship with God that she didn't even really realise she had uh, uh, is blessed by God in the most amazing ways. She's sustained through uh, this drought and that uh, she's, uh, she finds her son restored to her. Yes, God is interested in the big picture. God is working his purposes out across the whole earth and our responsibility is to trust in those and to try and involve ourselves in those in any way that we can but fundamentally to remain faithful even when things seem really difficult. But God is a God who cares about individuals. And um, just as he cared for Elijah, and just as he cared for this woman, so he cares for you and me, and he sustains us daily. So I'd, I'd love you to remember this widow. And, um, you know, as you're looking at your own life, as you're asking those questions about who I am and where I'm going, uh, remember this woman. Uh, if she ever stopped and asked, those questions, the answers that she'd come up with for herself uh, wouldn't really have been very encouraging at all and yet um, she remains faithful throughout all of those things and the time does come and it strikes me that this is true of uh, almost all of the characters in the Bible. Uh, there are great periods of their life when apparently nothing happens and then the time comes when God calls them to act and they are faithful and they act in accordance with God's will. So never stop and think that you're uh, somehow too insignificant or um, not important enough to be a key player in God's purposes. Um, remember this widow. Remember uh, that she, the most marginalised of figures, becomes a key figure in God's story. But also resist the arrogance, resist the pride that suggests that somehow you should be deeply significant in God's story. 
um, and that uh, he has some responsibility to make sure that your life is dramatic and exciting every single day. There's one final reflection on this which I, I find quite helpful and it's, um, it's the thing about kind of ordinary life. Um, I, I suspect like lots of us, um, have a sense of a kind of pressure to be doing something of deep significance uh, every day and uh, doesn't leave a lot of room in that for a uh, good ordinary life. Um, but I want you to remember the, uh, the, the foundational command of God, his call on our lives, which is uh, to love God and to love our neighbour. And um, when it comes down to it, that is what we are to do. Day by day, week by week, year by year. And the relationships that we have with one another, the way that we build community and the way that we uh, um, uh, live in relationship with God, all of those things are important and good even though they seem ordinary. There's a, a John Lennon quote which I like, which is, um, life is what happens while you're making other plans. And I think that's really important for us because um, we do seem to spend so much time trying to make plans about where we're going and what we're going to do and who we're going to be. And the great danger of it is that life somehow passes us by while we're doing those things. But part of what that means is going to be that we need to come to terms with the ordinary and... Um, Lots of the ordinary things are just quite difficult. There's frustration and struggle and uh, even boredom. Um, but this widow to us is an example of faithfulness in the face of all of those things. So let's remember her and, um, and to allow her relationship with God to shape our expectations of what a relationship with God looks like. Someone once said that uh, life may not always work out how you want it to. We would wish for sunny days every day but eventually we would die of drought. And this uh, widow of Zarephath uh, is a woman whose life probably didn't work out how she wanted it to, and uh, yet she was caught up in the midst of the purposes of God and becomes this great hero of faith, a hero for you and I to uh, remember and to be inspired by.